The Old Testament reading is Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But but God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The word of the Lord. Let me pray before we think about this. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning. Um, We can only see if you give us sight that you would open our ears so that we might hear uh, the good news, that you would open our hearts so that they might be changed and conformed into the likeness of your son Jesus, so they might make our hearts more like your hearts. Father, we ask this so that we might... Um, be used by you and your church and your kingdom, um, that you would strip us from any fear um, or shame or guilt and see our lives as being hidden with Christ, that we've been crucified with him, we've died with him and been raised again. Father, help us to know what that means this morning as we look at this final chapter of Jonah. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This past couple weeks I've been reading an autobiography by a pastor Uh, This is what pastors do. They read autobiographies of other pastors all week long. That's what my job normally is. No, it's not. But um, this one pastor is named Frederick Beekner. And um, as I'm reading his autobiography, uh, it occurs to me, I was like, I think he's got, I think he already wrote an autobiography. And it turns out he had already written two other ones, like kind of memoirs. But still, I sort of thought, this is his third one. I mean, is it that sort of narcissistic? to write three memoirs or three autobiographies, and then I started to think more about it, and especially the context of what he was actually writing about in his life. And what I realized is that in the midst of our lives, it's really hard for us to understand them. I mean, it's just hard for us to compute 
why certain things happened in our life. In the midst of everything that is going on in your life right now, it's really hard to stand back. Um, our lives are like, like a tapestry. And, you know, underneath it is what we see, and it just kind of looks like a jumbled mess, and we're always wanting to kind of peek up over the edge and to see what the finished product looks like. And at the beginning of his autobiography, he, he says this. He says, I've called this book Telling Secrets, because I've come to believe that by and large, the human family all has the same secrets, which are both very telling and very important to tell. They are telling in the sense that they tell what is perhaps the central paradox of our condition, that we hunger for perhaps more than anything else is to be known in our full humanness. And yet that is often just what we also fear more than anything else. It is by entering that deep place inside us where our secrets are kept that we come perhaps closer than we do anywhere else to the one who, whether we realize it or not, is of all our secrets, the most telling and the most precious we have to tell. We don't know who wrote Jonah. Um, You can go and pull out the commentaries and read the scholars on Jonah, and many of them will disagree and argue about who actually wrote this book, who actually penned it and recorded it. Um, But there's quite a few who actually think that maybe Jonah was actually the one who wrote the book of Jonah. Um, That in a sense, this is his autobiography. Um, I like that idea. I can't tell you this morning whether or not that's actually accurate or not, but I think that it makes a lot of sense because I think Jonah is sort of telling us in this narrative, he's saying, hey, listen to me. This is a picture of my life. This is really my, my dirtiest secret. And I want to record it for you. I want to tell that secret because in the midst of a time when I was confused and when I was angry and when I was bitter and when I didn't know what was going on is the very place where God revealed himself most beautifully to me. It's the very place where I saw him like he really is. And telling the most confusing and difficult parts of Jonah's life, he reveals the most beautiful parts of God. You know, over the last few days and the last few weeks, um, one of the things that I get to do as a pastor is to meet with you and listen to your stories. And especially for those of you who are uh, becoming members of the church and seeking to join the church, I've been able to sit with you and and talk about what that means to be a part of the church and to hear um, the ways that God has worked in your life. And of all the things, I love this job, and of all the things I get to do, that's one of my favorites. I love to hear all the crazy, weird, bizarre ways that God has brought you to himself. And to see through many different circumstances the ways that his, his redemptive grace has woven itself throughout your life. And to, to hear things like, like I heard this week, like I was on the verge of walking away from my marriage and, and an old friend invited me to church. And God met me there. Or to hear, you know, like I heard this week, all of my life had been, I'd been taught that um, I'm supposed to perform and I'm supposed to be at this level. And I thought my relationship with God was like this. And I thought my relationship with my peers and my parents was like this. And it's been an anxious cycle. 
And I came and I heard that none of us are actually worthy. And that's the entire point. That God has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And this is precisely where he meets us. That I, I say this to say to remind you that God is at work. And that God is often at work in the places that we least expect it. This is what we keep talking about with Jonah. That the conflict in this passage is between God and Jonah. And it's because God loves Jonah. And God is is shaping Jonah. And he's conforming Jonah into his image. And he's redeeming Jonah. And just like God is writing Jonah's story, God, listen to this, God is writing your story too. And it might be easy to sit here and look at this and kind of go, well, yeah, this is a story about somebody who's in the Bible. And like, what do I matter? You matter. And the things that, like the very things that we're experiencing right now, are they're not by chance. They're not because he's removed his hand. It's because he's doing something that we cannot maybe comprehend. And Jonah helps us. I think Jonah's helped me at least. I hope he's helped you. Jonah helps us to see that God, um, he causes growth and he causes change, not in a way that we like. He picks Jonah out of any prophet that he could have picked. He could have raised up another prophet. He picks Jonah and says, go to Nineveh. Because God had work to do on Jonah, that God produces change and he produces growth and he changes our hearts often in ways that we, that we don't like and that we don't understand. And it helps us to see once again as we finish up today in Jonah that his path is better than ours, that his way is better than ours, that it is bent towards compassion. And it is compassion towards us, but it's also producing in us a compassion that bleeds out toward our neighbor. I'm, sad, I'm honestly, I'm sad to see Jonah go. This is the last sermon in this series. And I think, um, I hope that at least in, maybe in your own families and maybe in your neighborhood groups, that the questions that Jonah has asked um, have been discussed. If not, bring them up. Talk about it. Um, what... The question that we started with at the beginning of this series, does our heart look like God's heart? Um, How do we see the gospel manifesting itself within our body? How are we changing? How are we growing? Let's keep talking about those things. But today I want to finish with this last chapter. Um, This last chapter that's sort of funny in places. Um, I think we'll get there and you'll see it. It even ends in kind of a funny way. I don't think there's any other book in the Bible that ends with, and also much cattle. But God is giving Jonah this education. That's kind of what he's been doing all along, or at least that's the word I'm choosing. That God is educating Jonah in the way of compassion. And I, I want to look at that first, and then I want to talk about how that's an invitation to us toward compassion. And even that word, compassion, where do we find it? What does that mean in this text? We'll get there. So Jonah is being educated in compassion. And God, you know... One of the things we could skip over in this last section is just simply that as God is educating Jonah in in the way of his own heart and in the way of compassion, God is compassionate in the way that he educates Jonah in compassion. You seen that? God could come to his prophet um, like an angry father and he could say, what is wrong with you? 
God could come to Jonah and he could say, um, you are a self-obsessed, self-absorbed hypocrite. But that's not what he does. That we see this, you know, manifest in, in the character of God in Jesus when we watch Jesus with his own disciples and how they're often stumbling over themselves and they're saying the wrong thing. They're pulling out their sword when they should not even have one maybe with them. They're like doing all, and Jesus is so patient with them because he's shaping them to go out into the world and to represent him. And so God, he doesn't shout at Jonah. Instead, he he shows Jonah what compassion looks like by kind of walking him through this living parable. And we left off last week, we looked at the first um, four verses of this chapter last week, and we left off with this question that God asked Jonah. He says, do you do, you do well to be angry? Uh, you know, we might put it, how's that working for you? <laughs> Is this going well for you, Jonah, to be angry? What was Jonah angry about? Just as a reminder, the beginning of this chapter, Jonah was exceedingly angry at God because God was merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness toward people that Jonah didn't like. And God comes to him and just asks him this incredibly pointed, weighty question. Do you do well to be angry? I think that we know like, what that feels like to have that question asked us. Do y'all know what that feels like? Like when you got, let's just, let's just pretend this has happened to you before. Like you got really mad one time. And you got so mad that you started saying things that you knew were not true or that were wrong or that just, you just kind of flew off the handle. And the person who's with you, whether they're the one you're mad at or you're mad at somebody else, is just sort of looking at you as you're just ranting. And they look at you in such a way, or maybe they say it verbally, is that they basically are are communicating, if you could see yourself right now, you look ridiculous. Anybody ever been there? I have. More times than I care to count. And what is the response when somebody does that? What it usually does is it just makes your blood boil all the more, and you usually just turn around and stomp out of the room, right? I think that as, jo- as God asked Jonah this question, do you do well to be angry? We come back this morning and we pick up with the next verse and you're like, Jonah didn't answer the question because I think Jonah stomped out of the room. Jonah got even more angry and he turns around, he loses his cool and he runs out of the room and where does he go? He goes out of the city. He goes east of the city. He's sitting um, east of Eden, so to speak. And he goes and he sets up this booth for himself. And that's kind of a weird thing that we were like, what is that all about? He makes a booth for himself. And this booth in the Hebrew is a word sucketh. And it would have registered with with people who heard it the first time. It would have registered with Israelites that this is the same word that they use for the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. The irony would not have been lost on them that this was a, that he comes and he makes this little booth. He's sitting in a sucketh and he's looking over Nineveh, and these are the same booths that they would create for themselves during the Feast of Booths, which was a feast where they remembered God's deliverance 
God's faithfulness, God's graciousness, God's kindness to them when they were in the wilderness after they'd been brought out of slavery and out of bondage. And he was kind and gracious. He rained down bread from heaven like water flowed from rocks. And all the while they complained and they moaned and they said it would be better for us to be back in slavery. And and the irony would not have been lost that here sits Jonah in his booth looking over the city. And this is a festival that in Deuteronomy 16 basically said that this is a time when they, would, um, when they were commanded to bring into this festival the Gentiles and the strangers and the foreigners and the servants in their midst. And yet here is God's prophet, all alone in his booth, sulking and hoping that God would destroy the foreigner, that he would get rid of the foreigner. We get rid of his enemy. And so a series of like, God, God strikes at this moment. And we've said like, Jonah's full of action verbs. And I've asked you to follow those action verbs in your own life to see like, what is God doing and where is he going? And here he is once again. He appoints three different things in three verses. This is God visibly recorded in history moving in this man's life. He's doing the same thing in your life. Some of you don't like that. We may not like the thought of that. No, I make my own choices. I do. My, God is moving and appointing things in our lives too. What does he do? How does he appoint these things in Jonah's life? Well, he appoints a plant. And this plant grows up really quickly and it gives Jonah shade and it gives him comfort. And it says that Jonah, because of this plant, he loved this plant. I mean, he does a little dance over this plant. He's exceedingly glad. Like, that's, like, very, very, very glad. Like, more glad about anything than he's been in a long time. And it's in direct opposition to the very beginning of this chapter that opens with Jonah being exceedingly displeased. Or exceedingly angry. So Jonah, we open with him being exceedingly angry at God because God is being gracious and merciful to people that he thinks deserve death. And then a plant grows up and gives him a little bit of shave and him a little bit of relief, and he's exceedingly glad. So now Jonah is happy, and he's comfortable, and God then says, well, let's see what happens now, and he appoints this worm that comes and eats the plant, destroys the plant. I don't know what kind of worm this was. It's like the hungry caterpillar. Um, It takes this plant down that was given Jonah shade in like a night, And so Jonah wakes up the next day, and he's pretty mad that this plant is gone. And so God then says, he kind of turns it up a little bit, and he sends a scorching wind. And I I, I've thought about this word scorching for a while. I don't don't know why. Um, But, I mean, it wasn't just that he sent a great wind or um, the sun came out, that he sent this wind that was scorching. Have you ever been in scorching wind before? You ever been to Texas? <laughs> the first time I ever drove across Texas was going to, it was when I was dating Rosie, and I was going to join her and some friends down all the way at the very tip of Texas at the beach. And I was driving in my 1990 Subaru wagon that had no air conditioning. And it was in July, and I thought, you know, everywhere else, I mean, I grew up in Memphis. I mean, I'm, I'm accustomed to the heat. I know heat, right? 
I'll, just, I'll roll my windows down. It'll be fine. I'll roll my windows down driving through Texas, and I realize this is what scorching wind feels like. It's like you put your arm out and, like, the hairs singe. And this is what Jonah, see, Jonah, it's not just that he's sitting there and there's, like, a gentle breeze, but it's hot outside. God sends this wind that is scorching, and he allows him to feel uncomfortable. He allows him to feel this pain. And Jonah says a second time, you know what? I want to die. That's how I feel. Just, I, I want to die. And so God asked him that question again. Okay, let me ask you again, Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? And he adds this little phrase on the end. For the plant? I mean, I wish we could hear the tone of voice because it sounds ridiculous to say out loud, right? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? It's almost crazy. It's, I think, kind of humorous. And Jonah answers this time. He doesn't get it. Jonah answers and says, yes, I do well to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. That's how angry I am about this plant. Maybe it's a good time to pause for a second and just ask ourselves the question, I don't know, what did, what did you get angry about this week? Did you get angry this week? Um, maybe you didn't say, yes, I'm angry to God himself. You're angry enough to die. Maybe you were just mad, frustrated. If you were paying attention, you kind of saw that there's something that's continually getting under my skin and it's making me angry. Things didn't work out the way that you wanted to on a project at work or at school. And you became kind of angry. Imagine, like, if you got that in your head this week, because it's probably happened to all of us. I mean, just imagine God asking you that question. Do you do well to be angry? Is this working? Well, God responds to Jonah after Jonah says he's angry enough to die. And God says, you have pity for this plant. That you didn't make, you didn't make it grow, you didn't labor for it, it came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And then he says, should I not pity? You see, Jonah's essentially saying to God, can't you just give me a little compassion? Can't you just let me keep the plant? And so when God takes it away, it's the perfect opportunity for God to say, can I have pity on 120,000 individual people who are made in my image who don't know their right hand from their left and also a whole lot of cattle that I think are pretty amazing I love that can I Jonah do I have your permission to have pity on an entire city what does that word pity mean I don't think we like that word very much um, when somebody, has anybody, anybody get told this week by somebody that they, they you know, I really pity you. You would not take it as a compliment, right? Um, we think of pity and pitiful, but this word is the same word as compassion. It's translated that way. I mean, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, if you go back into the New Testament, it's translated that way. When Jesus looked on the crowds, he was moved with compassion. It's the same word. That's why it's the word that I keep coming back to 
To have compassion with somebody is to identify with them, is to see them, is to be moved by, by, by looking at them and their situation, is to have compassion. And God is educating Jonah by bringing Jonah face-to-face with his own anger and then showing him what he loves and what he pities. And Jonah is seeing, I hope that Jonah is seeing that he's angry at God, he's angry that God would have compassion on these people that he thinks don't, don't deserve it. But I think Jonah is also kind of angry at himself. And I think, Jonah, what you hear here is this mixture of self-loathing and self-obsession. You ever felt that way? I kind of hate myself, and I love myself to death. At the same time, aren't we, aren't we confusing? There's this mixture of self-loathing and, and self-obsession. And I want to ask before we think about this invitation is, do you believe that his compassion and his forgiveness is so great that it could even apply to you? Look at where Jonah is. Look at the things that he's saying. And God continues to move forward and to move forward and to move toward him because God loves Jonah and he wants Jonah's heart to look like his heart and he's shaping it and he's molding it. Do you think God, in your particular circumstance, whatever it might be right now, could be doing the same type of thing with you? I think he could. I think this education leads to an invitation. I think it leads to an invitation because God, I mean, it's weird that this whole chapter, it ends with a question. The book ends with a question. We don't necessarily know exactly what happens next with Jonah, but I think it ends with a question because God is inviting him and he's inviting us into his work of compassion. This is what God wants. This is what he's doing is that he's inviting his people, even as he shows us mercy and he shows us grace and he gives us redemption, that he's inviting us in to come alongside in this work of compassion. And I think this is the invitation that Jonah gives us. I saw a movie last week. I don't, see, I don't get to see a lot of movies. I, wish I, I, used, I love movies, but um, I saw Black Panther. Does anybody see Black Panther? Um, and I went to kind of be entertained. I thought well, this will be fun and entertaining. And I walked out sort of like with my head spinning because it was incredibly layered and complex. And there were so many things to think about in that movie. And um, I'm not going to give you any spoilers because I think it's a good one to go see. But in that movie, there is, there is just like any Marvel kind of movie, there's an antagonist, right? There's a, a bad guy. There's a villain, and in this case, in Black Panther, it's a guy whose his nickname has become Killmonger. You only get that for one reason, right? And the thing about most, you know, most, I've seen a few of these kind of movies, a few Marvel movies, and like usually the antagonist is like pretty easy to hate, and he's pretty one-dimensional, and he's just always set on destruction, and there's not a lot of complexity, but one of the beautiful things about this movie is that you're let into the wounds and the hurt of this man who is now angry. And you're invited to sympathize with him, which kind of makes you feel a little bit confused in the movie because you begin to hurt along with him. You begin to understand his anger and understand his pain, that we're invited into that pain so that we might have some sense of pity, some sense of compassion. And isn't that what God is inviting 
us to do as well. Isn't that what he's inviting Jonah to do? That God had every right to hate Nineveh. It was an entire society that was built around utter and complete rebellion against him. There was blood running in the streets. There was systematic injustice. There was just all, I mean, there was violence. There was abuse. God had every right to smite them, to destroy them like what Jonah wanted. And listen to his language. Jonah, there's 120,000 individuals, people, who were made in my image, who were made for my glory, who've turned away from me, and who were bent on destruction already. And is it not okay for me to have actual compassion for them because they don't know their right hand from their left hand? That's how God sees them. That is the language of compassion. That's the language of pity. That's the language of Jesus incarnate hanging on a cross where his enemies had nailed him to and him crying out to the Father, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. It's astounding. Do you see the compassion and do you see the heart of God and do you see it up against the way that your heart does not look like that? Because I can see it in mine, I can tell you that. It's amazing. Maybe this means for us that we need to quit looking at people who, might, who we might think are our enemies as being one-dimensional because they're not. I quoted Bernay Brown a few weeks ago, it's hard, it's hard to hate someone up close, move in. It's easy to hate people from a distance, it's easy to look at them from a distance and kind of go, those people are pure evil. Maybe we need to quit falling into the trap that we're continually being lured into in every direction of identity politics and glibly casting people aside as idiots or morons because they might have differing opinions than we do. Christians, it should not be that way for us. This is not what we're called to. And if the church is going to have a voice in this culture that we live in, God has he's got to continue to shape us like he shapes Jonah. With this heart of compassion that we look very different than we did before we met him. I heard a story this week from one of you that you came back to church when you were angry at God. And you were confused about your life, I think for really good reason, and you were bitter at some people around you, and you had reason to be bitter at people around you, but you said that God met you here somehow. And you left that day, and you didn't feel angry anymore, but the first thing you thought is that there was some hesitation. Because if God was actually this way towards you, and if he was actually compassionate towards you, then that means that there's people in your life you're going to have to forgive. And there's people in your life that you're going to need to show compassion to. And that that thought was a little bit terrifying. And as I listened to that story, I was saying, nodding and saying, that's exactly right. That means you met Jesus, right? That's what Jesus does. He shows you so much astounding, abundant, undeserved, unmerited grace that you cannot walk out the door and say, I have to show this to somebody else. 
I have to show forgiveness. I have to show compassion as well. It's a beautiful story because it means God met you. God's grace to us in Christ should continually be developing pity in us when we look around us. Not anger. God says, leave the judgment to me. I'm calling you in a work of compassion. I'm calling you to spread something that's called the gospel. It's good news for people, no matter what walk of life they are or what they look like or where they came from. It's actually good news for them that God has sent a son in the world to save sinners. And so the point for us as we walk away from Jonah is not that we simply go out and do some nice things. The point of Jonah is not random acts of kindness. The point of Jonah is that we as individuals and as a body have this experience with a God who is so gracious and compassionate to us that the very interior of our being is being so transformed that our disposition has become different because we've seen our own need and Jesus has met us there. And he's met us there in such a way that it's reorienting ourselves toward what it would mean not just to tolerate or to help other people, but to love them, to be moved with compassion so that we might share this good news. And that invitation to compassion is an invitation to us this morning to join in the work of the risen Jesus, his work of shalom, of the knitting back together of all things, of making things new again. And that's probably going to start. You go, well, that sounds like a big job. Where's that going to start? It's probably going to start at home. (laughs) It's probably going to start by maybe going home this afternoon and talking to a spouse or maybe going towards a friend and talking to a friend and saying, you know what? My life is fundamentally set up in a way that I want to be shown grace and I want to be shown compassion, but the way that I treat you is that I want you to get what you deserve. I want grace for me, but I want for you to feel the pain of your bad choices so that you get what you deserve. That's the way that maybe I've been treating you. Is there somebody in your life you've been treating that way? I probably is. That maybe it starts there. And maybe it starts to bleed out from there. And maybe God continues to use that to where he starts to use this church um, in a way that we couldn't imagine. See, Jonah went outside of the city and he sat there and he watched and he waited it. He wanted to see it destroyed. Jesus comes to the city and he weeps. And he's moved in his heart with compassion. And then he goes outside of the city and there he himself is destroyed. And he's destroyed in our place. And as he's being destroyed, he even cries out, forgive these people for they don't know what they do. But thankfully, Jesus did not remain in the grave. Friends, he rose again. He rose again and he conquered death and he conquered sin forever. And you who know him, you rose with him. And right now he's seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And he bears in his body those wounds, those wounds of love. And all authority on heaven and earth has been given to King Jesus. And he has sent his spirit to dwell in you. The same spirit that raised him from the dead now is alive in you. Do you do well to be angry? If that's true, 
if that's true about you this morning, if that's true about me this morning, do I do well to be angry when certain things may not look like they're going my way, when certain people may be not so nice to me, when certain things happen that I don't understand, do I do well to be angry? Friends, you are loved by God, and you have been shown more grace than our minds could ever comprehend or conceive. And God says, come and join me in this work of compassion. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you that you don't just shout at us <laughs> because we deserve it. Um, instead, you show us in ways that we might not even be able to understand right now, that you show us that you are weaving this story of grace into our own lives. And I pray that you would help us to see the depth of our own need for mercy um, so that we can see just how deep your, your grace actually goes in our own lives, that it would change us, that you would conform our hearts to the image of Jesus. Father, that you might use us to bring many, many more into your family. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.